I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, June 25th, 2012. I am really excited. <laughs> we we uh, finally mixed down the, uh, the final edition of the Max Holiday uh, album. I'll give you details there in a minute. We think it'll be up on iTunes by our fourth anniversary of Pirate Christian Radio. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is... No shortage of crazy, bizarre, weird things being said, basically being attributed to God. And, well, you can't really attribute them to God because that's not what his word teaches. That's not what he's revealed. And so we do the work of a Berean. That is to compare what somebody has said, to test it, to see if it squares with what Scripture says, what God has revealed about himself and about the world at large, and to see if what is being taught is sound biblical doctrine or if it's, well, something different. The program is a little bit <clears throat> rough and tumble, and it's not politically correct, which means that if you're new to listening to this program, th this could be the uh, theological equivalent of a really cold bucket of ice water being splashed on your theological face. Once you get over the shock, grab a towel, dry off, and keep listening. It takes a little bit of time to get used to because... It's it's really tough, especially when you think you were taught the truth by someone who's supposed to be a man of God, and then you realized uh, you weren't to told the truth at all. That is, well, it can create problems. So I'm just saying, you need to listen for some t uh, for some time. Give us about three weeks, and uh, and that'll at least give you your bearings as to what's going on here. And of course, you know, if you want to do that all at once, you just go into our archives at fightingforthefaith.com. And you will be able to download and listen to the last three weeks worth of uh, episodes and more. You know, we uh, 
In fact, I make uh, I make a point of making all of our archives for Fighting for the Faith available for free. I don't like to charge people for the archives. And uh, even though in the short run that means that, um, well, it, it makes things a little more financially difficult for us. Because, I mean, literally, if I wanted to close it off and you know, say, okay, after this amount of time we're going to make those a part of a special thing that you have to buy into – it would probably increase our revenue, but the thing I'm concerned about is that it would it would create a barrier for people who are looking for answers, as answers to the questions of why is my church teaching me stuff that is so shallow? I mean, I've been there for a couple of years, and it's it's the same four or five verses ripped out of context, same messages pretty much every year that there's no substance to it. Is this really what Christianity is? The answer is no. Um, why is it that you know people in my church have been thrown under the bus? What is this stuff about community? I mean, if you're looking for answers, you know the last thing you the last thing you need the last thing you need is a paywall getting in the way so that you could go back and find the answers to the questions that you want. So um, I feel very strongly about the fact that we don't want a paywall up at least when it comes to the archives of Fighting for the Faith. Okay, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. As I said at the opening of uh, the program, oh, it, I spent um, the, most of the day Saturday in studio working on the podcast and the final mix downs uh, and edits for the uh, Max Holiday's uh, Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater, the Budgie Cuts Part Two album that uh, we we needed to get to our aggregator our aggregation service in order to get it into iTunes by the end of the week and so uh, our hope our goal is you know at this point we've got it in there and we've been told fingers crossed that uh, that we're that the album will be available for purchase uh, by Friday at iTunes and also I think on the Amazon store so we'll keep you posted as to what's going on now if you are already a subscriber or somebody who in the last 12 months has contributed to Fighting for the Faith or Pirate Christian Radio uh, to uh, you know, basically the equivalent of, you know, you, even if you've given a one-time contribution that is the equivalent or greater of, uh, of a one-year crew membership, then we're going to send you a link and, you know, via email. So you got to watch your uh, email. As soon as it goes live in iTunes, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll immediately work on getting you that email. And the email will send you to a link. The link has a username and password that you have to enter. And uh, once you enter it, you'll be able to access uh, the album and download your copy. Okay? So if you are a current crew member or somebody who has supported Fighting for the Faith uh, to the equivalent amount in a, you know, in a single contribution of what it will cost in a uh, one-year crew membership, we will be sending you a copy for you to download your edition of Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater, the Budgie Cuts Part 2 album. Got to tell you, it is very funny, silly. It's a, it's a very silly album, and it's a, it gets a little poignant at, time, at points, but uh, absolutely a scream. It was, a, it was so fun to work on this and uh, really exciting to see that it's you know coming to fruition. So what I'm going to do, um, in fact, hang on a second. Let me get into iTunes real quick here. Not the iTunes Music Store, but my copy of... Uh, uh, iTunes. Let's see. I'm going to go to Max Holiday. I have the album here. <clears throat> what I want to do is I want to give you a preview 
Uh, in fact, let me t- let me read to you the, the the track list. The first track is I'll, I'll just read them in order. First one is called Wonder Vision. Second one is called Resurrection. Now that is <laughs> the second sketch is the craziest of all of them. Any and it's dedicated to Patricia King and and something that she I reported on that she had said in February this year. And in fact, I even put a link so that you can see it or listen to it. So Resurrection Now, strange sketch. We got a boxing match sketch, Biblical Repairman, The Grimoire of Modern Prayer Part 1, a sketch called Directions, The Architect's Sketch, something called Velcro, uh, The Grimoire of Modern Prayer Part 2, another episode, another sketch called Two Dudes and uh, One GPS, uh, another one called The Postmodern Stuntman, Zondervan Tech Support, 3D, Pimp My Church, and The Not-So-Hidden Track. So all told... There are 15 tracks on the uh, on the album, and it the best way to listen to it, by the way, the best way to listen to the album is make sure you got the time to listen to the whole thing in one setting and just start at the beginning and go until it's done. <laughs> that's all I got to say. That's the best way to listen to it. <laughs> there, there may be times when you're tempted to stop it because your brain is being bent in different directions just don't stop it keep going with it it's oh it's wild but what i want to do is i'm going to play for you like the first minute of the uh, grimoire of modern prayer sketch and uh, which by the way takes place in australia on the banks of the bongo river yeah here listen in Deep in the South Australian wilderness, and also the typhoid-infested waters of the Bongo River, Captain Worthington and his ragtag group of men have found themselves to be hopelessly lost. Surrounded by the vicious savages of the Hamuku tribe, and now the TP has run out. It's been 27 days without food, and Private Jenkins doesn't care. Oh, do shut up, Nigel! We don't need you narrating every little thing that goes on. It's bad enough already. We don't need you reminding everyone about it. Sorry. Now, gentlemen, the hour is dying. There's not much hope of us getting out of this predicament with our lives or sanity. What are we going to do, Captain? Well, we can do one of two things. We can either die in a blaze of glory, charging the Hibuku tribe in battle, or sit on the riverbank saying to ourselves, Oh, mommy, mommy, please make the bad people go away. I vote for the second one. Shut the noise, you pansy. Now, Captain, I have an idea that might just save our hides from the impending doom on the other side of the tree line. Well, out with it, man. Out with it. I happen to have... In my possession, a copy of Zondervan's latest book, The Grimoire of Modern Prayer. What? <laughs> so that's all. I, that's that's the only teaser you're gonna get. That's I can't play for you anymore. <laughs> and by the way, none of these sketches, none of these sketches will be used uh, in the rotation here on the on uh, Fighting for the Faith. Uh, only the sketches that are either the uh, Flying Circus Church or Church Day Soleil sketches are the ones that we play here on uh, the Fighting for the Faith radio program. So the only way to get these, the literally the only way, is uh, for you to uh, either purchase the album when it comes out on iTunes or for you to uh, uh, be a crew member. Uh, and so join our crew if you'd like to get a copy of this, and we'll send you an email out when the album is released. So we're, we're really excited about this. Um, I'm a little bit tired and like, wow, a lot of work. Yeah. Normally I spend the weekend studying. And so I kind of had to weave in studying and post-production work, uh, in, in, into the weekend, but I was able to get a good amount of studying in on uh, Sunday. So I was, that actually worked out all right. All right. So let's talk about what we're going to do on the rest of today's edition of fighting for the faith. I got a prophetic insights, uh, the latest prophetic insights from William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. 
Um, I've got a, a a news report coming out of uh, New, New Zealand. Uh, the name of the news report is called Undercover in Destiny Church. Very scary report. And uh, I thought the, the theological expert that they brought in to analyze this didn't – well, it wasn't very helpful. Um well, you'll take a look at that. I've got a Spurgeon quote that uh, was posted over at the Pyromaniacs blog called Feelings, Dreams, and Supernatural Thoughts. We'll be taking a look at that. Um, and then um, I, a new story that I want to get to. Uh, the outgoing president of the Southern Baptist Convention apparently has called the folks in the SBC to repent of their theological idolatry. And um, what I thought I would do <clears throat> is allow... Uh, well, Francis Pieper, the uh, Lutheran dogmatician, who's now dead, he's been dead for a while, to, well, provide the response. You know, it, it, you'll see what I'm saying. And then uh, for our sermon review today, we're going to be going to Corona, California, to uh, Chris Songson's church at uh, South Hills in uh, Corona. And the name of the sermon is Blacklisted, Blacklisted. So it's a, a Chris Songson sermon for hour number two. So we got a lot of ground to cover. Make yourself comfortable. Fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance your listener experience. Um, you know, it, and that's unless you got really, really hot weather in your neck of the woods. I've had to, you know, put my fuzzy bunny slippers away until things cool off here in Indiana. And but got to tell you, we're having a drought here in Indianapolis. Um, you know, the, because we're listened to all over the world, it's like, you know, weather conditions change. Um, but here in Indy, uh, it's been almost a month since we've had rain. In fact, maybe more than a month and think, I mean, yards are dead. It's, it feels like California outside. Normally this time of the year, it's hot and humid. It's just hot here. Not, not humid, but anyway, we're, and I'm looking at the forecast, uh, you know, the weather, and it's not looking good. It's not looking good. It doesn't look like we're going to get any rain anytime soon. So it's like, anyway, <laughs> I, just, I don't know why I had to say that. And, and, of course, if you'd like to enjoy an adult beverage while listening to Fighting for the Faith, we do not have a problem with that. It's a fine gift from God. However, keep in mind that the biblical prohibitions are against drunkenness. You don't want to become enslaved to that uh, fine gift that God has given us. And so with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. Here we go. With an earthquake, birds and snakes and aeroplane. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane, listen to yourself, churn world serve its own needs. Dummy serve your own needs. Beat it up an ox speed, grunt, no strength. The ladder starts to clatter with fear, fight down. High fire and a fire representing seven games in a government for hire in a combat site. Left to us to come in a hurry with the furies breathing down your neck. Team my team reporters battle Trump. That's our uh, update music whenever we uh, take a listen to the latest prophetic insights uh, from uh, William Tapley, the so-called third eagle of the apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times. Now, it's important for you all to note that uh, when I refer to him as the third eagle of the apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times, 
That's not a title I have created for William Tapley. That's literally what he calls himself. And so, you know, he finds, well, prophetic insights in the least likely of places. And, you know, like plane crashes and just crazy stuff like that. Anyway, so without any further ado, here's William Tapley talking about the latest uh, Putin-Obama setting in Los Cabos, Mexico. Here we go. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. Earlier this week, that is on June 18th, there was a very important summit meeting between two figures found in Bible prophecy. Wow, who knew? And that would be the last king of the north, as found in Daniel chapter number 11. And that would be the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, and the last king of the south. And that would be the president of the United States, Barack Obama. Now, there were several... Vi- now, if you're going... Does that sound like a creek or a river running behind him? Well, yeah, he he's recording next to a river. Very interesting coincidences about these summit talks. And if there's one thing I have discovered about prophecy, there is no such thing as coincidences. First of all... All right, so several coincidences regarding this important meeting between two major biblical figures that are prophesied in Daniel in the book of Revelation. Vladimir Putin and Barack Obama. Oh, no. Well, these meetings were held on the 42nd anniversary of the prophecies at Bayside, New York, which the Blessed Mother gave to Veronica Lucan. <laughs> Totally miss that. I yeah. I man, I have got to get some kind of a prophetic map that I can roll out, or what you know that helps me line up all of these major prophetic timelines and dates. I mean, I did not even know about the forty-second anniversary of the prophecy given to Veronica Lucan by the Blessed. <clears throat> One of the most important of these prophecies is that Syria holds the key to world peace. It was, <laughs> really? You sure that's not a false prophecy? Um, have you checked the latest headlines regarding Syria? will be a great destruction of World War III, in which three-quarters of the world will be destroyed. I believe people are beginning to realize that Syria does hold the key to world peace. They are? Who's saying this? It certainly appears as if Russia is drawing a line in the sand. They did not strenuously object when Obama removed Mubarak and when he removed Gaddafi. But they are objecting to the removal of Bashir Assad, the dictator of Syria. I believe Obama will be in deep doo-doo if he tries to remove Assad. (laughs) Okay, so... There you, Barack Obama, you need to listen. The third eagle of the apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times has made it clear that it is his expert prophetic opinion that if you try to take out Assad, that you will be in deep doo-doo. Direct quote from... (laughs) Another amazing coincidence about this meeting in Los Cabos, Mexico, is the meaning of the word Los Cabos in Spanish. 
<laughs> leaving no stone unturned. Okay, please do share. One of the meanings is the ends. I don't believe that is a coincidence. <laughs> oh, no. Now I will play for you a few of the clips from this press conference. <laughs> and you will see that neither Putin nor Obama really say anything of importance. They speak strictly in generalities. <laughs> so you're going to play clips from the from their conference where they say nothing, and you're going to point out that they say nothing. I've never seen the news reported like this. You would think that Russia and America were the best of allies. You wouldn't understand, unless you read Bible prophecy, that World War III is between these two superpowers. First, let's hear Putin talk about Russia's entrance into the World Trade Organization. Today, uh, we had a very meaningful and subject-oriented uh, discussion. We've been able uh, to discuss uh, issues pertaining to security. We discussed uh, bilateral economic relations. In this regard, I would like to thank you for the support rendered to Russia with uh, her accession to the World Trade Organization. First of all, please don't blame me for the terrible quality on the video and sound on these clips. My question is, why did you pick these out as if they had some kind of major prophetic insight regarding the eschaton? They are in the public domain, and they are found at the White House channel on YouTube. I mean, seriously, do you watch C-SPAN, uh, uh, Mr. Tapley, in order to, you know, keep up on the latest prophetic news that everybody's missing? You would think that the world's superpowers would do a better job at videotaping their own press conference. Now, in this next clip, Vladimir Putin talks about the Syrian affair, as he calls it, and he said that he and Obama found quite a few commonalities. We have also discussed international affairs, including uh, the Syrian affair. We discussed the Syrian affair. Ooh, nefarious prophetic stuff going on here. From my perspective, uh, we've been able uh, to find uh, many commonalities uh, pertaining to all of those issues. Please notice that Putin does not refer to the thousands of troops he is sending into the Syrian area. Maybe they were just giving a summary rather than a detailed description of what they talked about. I mean, don't you think the term the Syrian affair has in it the understanding all of the troops and all of the terrible things going on in Syria? Nor about the helicopters or the ships which he is sending. Everything is lovey-dovey according to this news conference. Next, Putin invites Obama back to Russia. You visited the Russian Federation. Maybe they're going to go on a fishing trip. I... Three years ago. Welcome again. Uh, I invite you to visit Moscow. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. President. Uh, 
we in fact did have a candid, uh, thoughtful, uh, and thorough conversation on a whole range of bilateral and uh, international issues. As you can see, Putin and Obama emphasized friendship and cooperation. <laughs> if you're reading their body language, neither one of them looked like they were thrilled to be with each other. Oh, man. Okay, so, wow. There you have it. I mean, the prophetic insights of Vladimir Putin uh, <laughs> holding a press conference with Barack Obama. <laughs> I mean, did you did you look at the prophetic insight regarding their, you know, their lunch menu choices? I mean, <laughs> I didn't see anything nefarious going on here uh, regarding the but of course, you know, keep in mind they, according to the third eagle of the apocalypse, those were two major figures from Bible prophecy meeting at Los Cabos, which in Mex in Spanish somehow means the ends. So that that means that there's no coincidence that the ends were meeting to discuss such important things as the Syrian affair and an invite to uh, have Barack Obama go to Russia. Um, wow. Um, what do you do with this? What, I mean, I think I just need to take a break. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. I, during the break, I'm going to go see if I can figure out the prophetic insights of my lunch choices today. <clears throat> it might be some important things. Broadcasting from his mother's basement while in a beanbag eating Cheetos. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> it's Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. Hey, do you want to feel holier than thou? Try Bible Thirst, holy drinks for people who need gratuitous amounts of piety. With all new flavors like prosperity, instant abundance. It's like adding your bank account to an electrical storm. Sound the alarm, you're going to be uncomfortably holy. What's that? You want mana? Well, how about super mana? Made with lightning. Real lightning. Preaching. Ah. You'll be good at it. It's a holy drink for men. Clergy. These aren't your pastor's puns. They are righteous puns. Piety puns. Sinner, saint, sinner, saint. Prayers, lights, cross lights, power lights, more lights than your body has room for. You'll be so holy, Mother Teresa will be like, slow down. And be like, no. And roundhouse kick her in the face with your Bible pants. You have so much holiness, holiness. Ah. Just praying all the time. Power praying, power preaching, power praising, power fasting, power meditating, power laughing, power responding, Chester. You have so much Chester. Just like Esau. 
give prosperity to babies, they'll be holy too. Make your babies run abnormally fast. They'll be as fast as Elijah. People watch them running and think they're Elijah. They'll race as fast as Elijah. In a race with the actual Elijah. And it'll be a time they get deported back to Israel. Hey, go with the for sure thing. Don't gamble on your afterlife. Jesus. Try Bible thirst. The energy that will make you uh, holy. Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. Warning, William Tapley should show you that it's not a good idea to have your Bible open and the news open at the same time. You never know what kind of craziness you're going to find, and it's distracting you from the gospel anyway. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are occasionally perks to being a crew member, like this month, where we're going to be making available to our crew members the uh, Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater, the Budgie Cuts Part 2 album, available to all of our crew members as our way of saying thank you. Uh, and then, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you click on the Donate button on our website or make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send that to post office box 508 fishers indiana zip code 46038 okay interesting story somebody left on my facebook wall from new zealand from news 3 in new zealand you can find this at 3news.co.nz headline reads undercover in destiny church undercover in destiny church and Fascinating story because it's clear what they're dealing with down there in um, New Zealand is a full-blown cult leader. But uh, let's take a listen to the story and uh, see what you think of it. The Destiny Church has revealed its plans for a city of God in South Auckland. The intention is to bring church members from the 11 branches around the country together to live in the suburbs around its big new complex. 
As part of the strategy, the church leader, Brian Tamaki, promised yesterday to reveal the 21 special blessings that apply to his church. We wanted to ask him what that meant, but he refused to be interviewed. 21 special blessings that apply to this guy's church. So Fenner Owen went undercover to the church service at which the blessings were revealed. In your spiritual blood, there must be a yearning for a city, something bigger than just doing church. Yeah, Bishop, his, he calls himself Bishop and his uh, name is Brian Tamiki or uh, something like that. Out there in his church, church. He looks like he's probably the great uncle of uh, Stephen Furtick. This is the promo for Destiny's next big thing, the witty-based City of God. So they're going to build a city of God. Somebody needs to let these folks know that the uh, kingdom of God is not an earthly kingdom. You've got to hand it to Brian Tamaki. There's always something big going on. Enough is enough, really. Political ambitions and being ordained a bishop. I wanted a straightforward interview with the bishop, but he turned me down. But wanting to know more about their latest and biggest project, I went undercover. I decided to go to the Wednesday night service because Bishop Tamaki had tweeted all week how he was going to reveal the 21 birthright blessings of the firstborn. 21 birthright blessings of the firstborn? Hmm. That sounds like a strange and peculiar doctrine that nobody has ever taught. That is Destiny Church. At the Mount Wellington complex, we ordered a coffee and entered the auditorium, where the model of the new city of God was proudly displayed. Wow. <laughs> you gotta wonder, you know, how many tens or maybe hundreds of millions it would cost to build that. The choir was a treat. And then, about three minutes in, the first call for money. The ushers have got the um, the band. Yeah, but of course, I mean, you can't go to this kind of <clears throat> religious meeting without expecting. You know, you don't show up empty-handed at this kind of religious meeting. These people aren't about the gospel. You know, the gospel's free. No, no, no these people are about. Fleecing people for money and about building their little kingdoms here on the earth. And the buckets, the buckets is for uh, offerings as well. We were asked to put coins in a bucket, tithing envelopes in a bag, and collect an automatic payment form from the foyer to help finance the new city. I mean, they're not building a church. They're building a city of God out there in Auckland, New Zealand. Unbelievable. No, no, no hallelujah. You ain't a real bishop. You ain't a real Christian pastor. You are something completely different. I won't say hallelujah to your hallelujah because the, the Yah you believe in is different than the Yah I believe in. And then the main act we Praise all stood as the bishop arrived the on stage. I took notes to blend in as he explained the 21 birthright blessings. Now listen to this teaching. What comes with the birthright blessing is a huge material blessing. Oh, yeah. See, with a birthright blessing, you get a huge material blessing. So all you got to do is give and then you'll get. It's, 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 you're not giving away. It's an investment. So I learned Destiny Church members so are I chosen or firstborn and that they will receive 21 blessings, many of them financial. Just sneak in there and say, I want it. The birthright blessing will cause you to inherit land. 
Really? So the birthright blessing will cause me to... Oh, wait, I don't go to their church, you know, so I probably don't qualify. This scene is a very... Now, here's their theologian expert who's going to be reviewing, giving us some insights here. <sighs> oh, man. Straightforward link between obedience and material blessing. Yeah. Massey University's oh, professor of religious studies, Peter Lynham, is writing a book about Destiny Church, one of the few people who regularly get to interview Brian Tamaki. The birthright blessings fascinate him. Yeah, it's a flat-out heretical teaching. Oh, but it's fascinating. Wow, wow, we've got ourselves a full-blown cult leader teaching a real heresy. Wow, this is fascinating. Especially blessing number 14. Whoever hurts, harms, or criticizes you will be cursed with misfortune and misery. Oh, so there we go. Yeah, by the way, i I got to admit, I'm risking things here because I'm being critical of Brian T Tomicky, uh you know, by criticizing him. So I'm risking because he's claiming for himself birthright blessing number 14 that uh, that apparently, you know, whoever criticizes him is going to be cursed with misfortune and misery. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, by the way, my Jesus is real. Your Jesus isn't real. Sorry, I can't change the word. I know it's not Christian, but it is a birthright blessing. So it's a son thing. The birthright blessing says whoever hurts, harms, or criticizes you will be cursed with misfortune and misery. But the text doesn't say that. No, it doesn't, because the guy's making stuff up. He's a heretic and a cult leader. Back in church, the bishop explains why it's so special to be firstborn. Firstborns are a higher level than actually Christian. Oh, okay. So, And by the way, he's not talking about if you're actually physically a firstborn. It's a firstborn would be somebody there who's... Well, helping them build the city of God. So you know, it's a higher level than a Christian. You know, he's discovered this all by himself. Christians that don't have the revelation of sons. Ooh, what was that dirty big religious nerve? I can feel it through TV. It's a, it's a horrible thing that just came back at me out of the thing. And it's you. I'll get a whole lot of things now saying you. you know. Anyway, that's how it goes. It's quite a powerful critique. They called other churches limp last night, and that they were the only, that destiny was the, was the firstborn, the chosen. Right. They're saying they're the only true church on the earth. That's a cult. These people are a full-blown cult. They've used stronger language than limp in the past. Professor Lynham says the pressure is on more than ever to raise money for the city of God. More importantly about us is what material is needed to build God's future. What what material is needed to build God's future? Hmm, he's vision casting. So this full-blown cult leader in Auckland, New Zealand, hmm, he uses the same methodologies as the seeker-driven guys. In fact, he dresses just like him. He looks just like one of them. What material things do I need that can contribute to building the church? That's the real thing about material possessions. Give it all to me. If I have all of that... <laughs> Give it a... Oh, wow. I'm going to sell it so I can invest it somewhere. The best of what we have goes to that, really. I need something, you need something to survive on, but if you bless God's church, he will bless you. Uh -huh. After the service, only the church royalty linger at the front. I try and get closer to the bishop and the wife of Brian, but a minder steps in. 
Professor Lynham says I shouldn't feel bad about going undercover. In fact, we're doing Bishop Tamaki a favor. Yeah, I'm sure he'll see it that way, especially after birthright number 14. I think that uh, Bishop Tamaki's logic is to kind of shift it over and say, bear this as a badge of honour, you know, you are the persecuted people, this proves that you are the people of God. Yeah, tact- it's, a, it's a normal, time-honoured tactic used by cult leaders. It's been an interesting night, despite no interview. We'll have to wait for Professor Lynham's book to get a better picture of the inside workings of Destiny Church. But even he may not get all the answers. So you're going to have access to their accounts? That's a question I haven't asked yet, but I, I would expect to know. Yeah. yeah Owen, with that. There's no way they're going to let you see their accounts. That report. Anyway, so there you go. That's the uh, report out of Auckland, New Zealand. they got a full-blown cult leader on their hands. Uh, let me temper that with a, a great blog post, a good historical quote from Spurgeon. Uh, Spurgeon, uh, this is from the Pyromaniacs blog in their weekly uh, dose of Spurgeon. The uh, headline reads, Feelings, Dreams, and Supernatural Thoughts. Spurgeon says, The only feeling I ever want to have is just this. I want to feel that I am a sinner and that Christ is my Savior. You may keep your visions and ecstasies and raptures and dancings to yourselves. The only feeling that I desire to have is deep repentance and humble faith. And if, poor sinner, you have got that, you are saved. Why, some of you believe that before you can be saved, there must be a kind of electric shock, some very wonderful thing that is to go all through you from head to foot. Now hear this. The word is nigh thee. In thy mouth and in thy heart, if thou dost with thy heart believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and with, and with thy mouth dost confess, thou shalt be saved. Why do ye want all this nonsense of dreams and supernatural thoughts? All that is wanted is that a guilty sinner, I should come and cast myself on Christ. That done, the soul is safe, and all the visions in the universe could not make it safer. Great quote, great quote. Moving along, little news story here. Uh, from the Christian Post, Lillian Kwan wrote a news story at the end of the week last week, and the headline read, uh, it reads, actually, outgoing SBC uh, head calls on Southern Baptists to repent of theological idolatry. Now, now before I even read anything here, okay, biblically, what would theological idolatry be? Okay, idolatry by definition, is the belief and worship of a false god. So theological idolatry in the classic biblical sense would be theology whereby you worship a false god, a false Christ, have a false gospel, a false spirit. You you get what I'm saying here. So theological idolatry biblically is always reserved for heresy. It's always reserved for error. It's always reserved for false doctrine and as in for, and false teaching. So there's a clear-cut biblical warning against theological idolatry. 
Now, that being said, let me ask you a question. Is it possible, biblically, are we ever warned in Scripture that we have got to be careful not to take sound doctrine to such a point that we turn sound, good theology into an idol? Answer, nowhere in Scripture are we warned about the dangers of true doctrine. Nowhere in Scripture are we warned against the dangers of sound doctrine. Nowhere in Scripture are we told, be careful, don't make your sound doctrine into an idol. Okay, And there's a reason for that. Idolatry is worship and belief in a false god, a false Christ, a false gospel. It's false theology. That is what it is by nature, by category, by definition. So with that in mind, I now read uh, Dateline New Orleans. The outgoing president of the Southern Baptist Convention took the opportunity on Tuesday to rebuke pastors over the infighting on Calvinism and to call for more humility in the ongoing debate. Really? In his last message as SBC president, Bryant Wright denounced the pride that was creeping in as Southern Baptists debate the doctrine of salvation and election. Quote, if we pride ourselves more on being a traditional Southern Baptist or more on being a Calvinist or Reformed theologian, then we are thankful that we are Christ-centered and biblically based. Then it is time to repent of theological idolatry. You're going, that doesn't sound right. You're right. It doesn't sound right at all. This sounds like a postmodern argument. This is ridiculous. This is, this is sloppy. This is, I mean, I'm not even a Calvinist. I'm looking at this going, you have got to be kidding me. The question that needs to be asked is who's committing idolatry? Okay. Not, we need to repent of theological idolatry. Okay. Let's Come on, let's talk about this. On the you know on the one side you have the Calvinists who are monergists. They're debating the doctrine of salvation, right? And on the other side you got a group who's patently, by definition, based on their document, semi-Pelagian at best. Semi-Pelagian at best. Now here are your logical options. Here, option number one: both camps are wrong. Neither one of them are teaching the truth. That's one possibility. Here's another possibility: one camp is correct, the other camp is flat out incorrect. Okay, another possibility. Okay, um, the one thing that is not possible is that both of them are right. That is not possible, and this has nothing to do with being humble. This has nothing to do with well. Uh, arrogance or anything of the sort, okay? Humility doesn't play into it. Now, it's possible that representatives of one side may be complete jerks, okay? They may be the most arrogant people on planet Earth. I mean, they seriously, they could have such big heads that they can't even fit through a normal-sized door, okay? It's absolutely possible. And you know what? Even though they would... they you know, technically, they could be arrogant, doesn't mean that what they're saying is wrong. Arrogance or humility does not determine theological truth. The only thing that determines theological truth is God's word, rightly read and understood. So this to sit there and basically say to both camps, just blank, we need to repent of theological idolatry. 
it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous because when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, by the way, the church has never viewed the doctrine of salvation as adiaphora. That means something you just don't need to worry about. They've never taken, the church has never taken a laissez-faire attitude regarding the doctrine of salvation. Pelagius was put down as a heretic. By the way, if you subscribe to the podcast for Fighting for the Faith, then you will notice that in the podcast feed, there was a link to a PDF. And on that PDF are links to to an ebook that I published by Benjamin Warfield regarding the Augustine and Pelagian controversy. Okay, it is not available on the Fighting for the Faith website. It is only available through the podcast stream. So if you don't already subscribe to our podcast, please do so. And when you do that, you will view, you will see uh, the the link to you know to to the PDF as well as to the uh, you know to the ebook itself. You need to download it and read it. Okay. Because this is what it boils down to, okay? I will basically make this assertion. The group that is challenging the Calvinists within the SBC are guilty of the Pelagian heresy. At at worst and at best semi-Pelagianism, both of them are heresies. Both. They are guilty of theological idolatry on this doctrine, not the Calvinists in the SBC. To sit there and basically say, you both need to repent of your theological idolatry is ridiculous. You don't ever have to repent of sound doctrine. Nowhere in Scripture are we warned about the dangers of sound doctrine. Nowhere in Scripture are we told about the dangers of pure doctrine. Instead, we're admonished by Scripture to preach sound doctrine, to proclaim pure Scripture, to not teach false doctrine and to teach the truth. Okay? But we are awash right now in crazy times where people are basically coming up with their own stuff and preaching it as if that's the thing that needs to be preached. The thing that needs to be preached in church is God's word, and rightly so. Now, I'd like to read to you a section from a Lutheran dogmatics text. In fact, the name of the, the, the book is called Christian Dogmatics, written by Francis Pieper. This is section 10 in the uh, first volume called Theology as Doctrine. I'm going to read a few, a couple of pages here. Since subjective theology is the aptitude to teach no more and no less than God's word, as the church of our day possesses in the written word of the apostles and the prophets, objective theology, theology in the sense of doctrine, is nothing more and nothing less than the presentation in oral and written form of the doctrine presented in Holy Scripture. The Christian doctrine is not produced by the theologian. Let me read that again. Christian doctrine is not produced by the theologian. All that the Christian theologian does is that he compiles the doctrinal statements contained in Scripture, in the text, and in context, groups them under their proper heads, and arranges these doctrines in the order of their relationship. Accordingly, objective theology is, as our old Lutheran dogmaticians say, Nothing else than Scripture itself arranged according to doctrines. Hence, all the parts that go to make up the body of doctrine, corpus doctrinae, the least important no less than the most important articles, must be based on Scripture. All theologians since the days of the apostles, say Luther, must confine themselves in their teaching to the teaching of the apostles. Luther says, quote, we are catechumens and pupils of the prophets. Let us simply repeat and preach what we have heard 
and learn from the apostles and the prophets. Luther enforces the demand that the theologians simply repeat the words of the apostles after them with this solemn warning. Neither ought any doctrine be taught or heard in the church but the pure word of God, that is to say, the Holy Scriptures. Otherwise, accursed be the teachers and hearers together with their doctrine. The same truth is expressed in the well-known axiom, quad non est biblicum, non est theologicum. By the way, that means if it's not biblical, it's not theology. That's kind of the, the, the Roseboro translation. So it follows that theology is not made up of the variable notions and opinions of men but is the immutable divine truth or God's own doctrine. It has this quality because of the source from which it is drawn according to the witness of Christ and his apostles and its own self-attestation in the hearts of the Christians. Holy Scripture is God's infallible word, and therefore the doctrine taken from Scripture is not after the tradition of men, not man's doctrine, but God's own doctrine, the doctrine of God our Savior. And in God's church, nothing but God's own doctrine may be preached and heard. The door of the church is closed to all doctrines that are devised by men. I'm going to pause there for a second. I want to point something out. This is a a point that I need to make more often. When you think of the term traditions of men, what comes to your mind? Okay. Now, some of you going, I know exactly what comes to mind. Okay. For a group of you listening to this program, When you hear the term traditions of men, the first thing that comes to your mind is, oh, those churches that are liturgical. And if that was your answer, I want to challenge you. That is not biblically how traditions of men are defined. Okay, You're you're confusing liturgy with bad traditions. Okay, Biblically, traditions of men, look it up. They are doctrines of human beings and human minds and human origin that are taught as if they're from God. That's what traditions of men is. So that being the case, okay, if you were to take if side by side two completely radically different church services, a confessional Lutheran liturgical service where the pastor faithfully exegetes God's word, preaches law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and it follows divine service setting one. Okay, If you were to walk in, you'd go, whoa, that's some traditional liturgy. You go, yeah, right. Okay, now that's that's one. Now compare that with Saddleback. Saddleback, you walk in, you've got a praise, you got the praise band leading off with a secular cover song leading into a 7-Eleven song and then a, a you know a 45-minute long masleration with 14 verses ripped out of context teaching you how to how to better budget your finances or how to balance your time using a day planner and uh, all 14 verses are used from different translations and paraphrases and things like that and at the end of it that okay so that's the end so which church is the church that biblically would fall under the category of traditions of men the answer is not both the answer is saddleback church not the confessional liturgical church if you think that just because a church is liturgical that that automatically means that they're following traditions of men you don't understand biblically what that doctrine means it's referring to doctrines being taught that have their origin in human origins, okay? As if they're, um, as if they're, as if those are, are God's doctrines, okay? 
So I would challenge you on that. You, you need to clean up your theological categories, okay? Traditions of men is referring to human doctrines being taught as if it's coming from God. So let me read that last sentence. The door of the church is closed to all doctrines devised by men. This truth needs to be stressed in view of the contrary claims of modern theology. The moderns, and I would say the postmoderns too, have nothing to offer but human doctrine. Refusing to accept scripture as the word of God, they have found it theologically unreliable and have substituted for it as the source of doctrine the human heart or the theological ego. And they insist that the church accept the results of their theological cogitations as the true theology. They are virtually demanding that theology be removed from the realm of the objective divine truth into the sphere of subjective human opinion. Because of the insistent claims of the modern theologians that the church is well served by this human theology... Moving ahead a little bit, therefore, the Christian theologian renounces all human speculations and insists that God be heard. Modern theology insists on, on the right of man to judge these matters, finds fault with the divine method of redemption, particularly with the substitutionary satisfaction of Christ as being too juridical and refuses to teach it. However... This attempt to silence God's voice and suppress the divine doctrine of redemption can have only one effect on the Christian theologian. He will the more loudly proclaim what the scripture of the Old and New Testament teach, redemption through the vicarious satisfaction of Christ. So here's the idea. Um, yeah, yeah, let me, one more quote. <laughs> Just looking at this. Um, the Christian theologian as such is a realist. He knows from his own experience what the disquieted sinner needs. He realizes what a terrible thing it would be if the terrified sinner who wants to know about the way of salvation had to rely on human opinions. The sinner wants absolute, reliable information on the question of justification. Nothing but God's own doctrine will serve him, and this applies to all parts of the Christian doctrine, including the doctrines of eternal damnation and of eternal salvation. In short, the Christian theologian teaches only God's doctrine as set down in Holy Scripture, which is God's book. He does not deal with human thoughts and human opinions. Now, why did I read that? Real simple. Because it's very clear in this uh, debate going on in the SBC that there is one group of people who are teaching doc the traditions of men, and it affects salvation. In fact, the, it's salvation itself that is on the line. And one group is teaching a damnable heresy, and the other is teaching the truth. And it matters, because one group is teaching what God has revealed in his word, and the other group are teaching human opinions and human speculations and they're mixing the you know god's word and human speculation together and that has got to stop and sitting there and just blanket statement saying you all need to repent of your theological idolatry is i mean at best at best it's misguided at worst it's completely wrong-headed and shows that he was never qualified to be the president of the sbc to begin with something to consider 
All right, we are up on our second break, and if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash piratechristian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at piratechristian. We'll be right back. Pitching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Chris Rosebro here with another useful technology product recommendation. Do you use an iPad or another competing tablet device? Well, if so, then you know how aggravating it is to constantly have to keep wiping off the smudge marks and fingerprints. Well, I've got the perfect solution for you. It's the Bamboo Stylus. Now, I've tried about a half a dozen different types of styluses over the years, and the Bamboo Stylus is by far the best stylus I've used. It's perfectly weighted. Feels and works just like a high-end or high-priced pen. And I use my bamboo stylus every day with my iPad for writing notes, drawing, and other day-to-day tasks. If you're considering getting a stylus for your iPad or tablet, then you can't go wrong with the old bamboo. And the best part is they come in multiple colors. So to get yours, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and right there on our homepage, you'll see an ad banner that you can click on to purchase your bamboo. And a portion of your purchase will go to support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That website again, fightingforthefaith.com. Look for the bamboo ad banner, click on it, and get your bamboo today. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, Sermon Review Time. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's 
Um, <laughs> well, what do you call this thing? It, 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 well, I guess masleration is about right. Today's uh, spiritual-sounding attempt at a biblical sermon thingy is uh, comes to us via South Hills Church, Corona, California. Motivational speaker Chris Sankson presiding. By the way, that's what he does. He's a motivational speaker who's become a seeker-driven pastor. He worked for Rick Warren at one time, and it shows. Anyway, the name of the <clears throat> lecture, speech, thing, whatever it is, uh, it's called Blacklisted. And this is part three from their sermon series on this, whatever that means to be blacklisted. And you just kind of have to hear it to believe it. Anyway, let's kill the music. So without any further ado, here is Chris Songson and Blacklisted. Here we go. It is so good to see you here. I want to welcome you to South Hills Church. And uh, if you're just coming in, uh, just still piling in here, welcome to South Hills. My name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor. I want to welcome all those who are watching online, uh, both in the United States and around the world. And uh, welcome to South Hills Online. And it's so great to have you with us. Hey, if you got some notes there, you should have a little blank note. I want you to grab those. We're going to get right into the message for the weekend. We've been in this series called Blacklisted. And last week, we took a little bit of a break in it, but it did go along with it. How many appreciated my friend Pastor Deshaun last week? My Indian friend. <laughs> he is a good man. We always rip on each other. I can't even, I, I wouldn't even go there. But um, we do. We have so much fun. Last time I saw him, I didn't get to see him last weekend because I was in St. Louis, but I saw him about two months ago. I got to golf with him in Florida. He's horrible at golfing, but um, but he's a sucker for bets. So I came out 30 bucks ahead. It worked out. The, the Lord was working. Um, but hey, it's, it's really awesome to have you here. I want you to get ready to take some notes. Last weekend, Last weekend, I was in St. Louis with my wife, and uh, she came along with me and uh, went to a conference there and uh, had a great time. And uh, she kind of, uh, um, she's kind of ripping on me, though, all week long because of something that happened in St. Louis that if you ask her, she'll give you the full details because she really was not happy with me. I am a frugal individual. And when we landed in St. Louis, I didn't rent a car and I didn't rent a taxi. Instead, I went on the subway of St. Louis. And not the, some of the areas, not the best, you know, in, in town or whatever. It dropped us off four city blocks away from our hotel, which means we had to carry our luggage for four blocks, but it was only four bucks for the subway. Come on, men, help me out here. Saving money. Praise the Lord. Now, now on the way back, we get the subway again, but it was all dark. And uh, we're not real, I mean, it was a dark day. It was daylight, but it was dark because it was about to rain. And we went down. And, you know, that was another thing. We couldn't get a cab, so we had to walk, and it was drizzling to the subway. So, Can't we just get a cab? I go, no, we're almost there. And uh, then we went down into the subway. There were some not-so-nice people uh, above the subway, kind of gang-looking guys. And we went down on the subway. We went past them, walked down the steps, went into the subway area, and there's nobody there. And I told my wife, I dropped my luggage. She had her purse. She's holding on to it with two hands and a can of mace. And, uh, and I told her, I said, I'll be back in five minutes. I have to go get us some tickets. And I went away for five minutes. I came back, and she says, I cannot believe you left me here. And I said, you're all right. I said, you took karate. We're good. And uh, 
But anyway, so, but we had an awesome time there, besides the fact that she's killing me all this week. But we had an awesome time. And if you've ever been to St. Louis, they have that big arch. Anybody ever seen that big arch? Okay, and you go there in this little pod, and they take you up there. It's literally a pod. I mean, it's like this big. And they take you up there, and then you get out, walk around, look at it. Now, that arch represents what's known as the gateway to the West. A couple hundred years ago, uh, the settlers that landed on the East Coast moved all the way to St. Louis, but then they stopped in the St. Louis area. And they said, we're not going to go any farther until one day a couple people rose up and said, you know what? There is more land over there and we don't want to be stuck over here. So let's go explore. And they put a team together and they began to explore and they called that the gateway to the West because it was a place that they decided one day that we're not going to live in these parameters anymore. See, that is a problem that we have. Not only did our forefathers have this problem of for a while they were living inside of these parameters, we do the same thing. Matter of fact, if you have a piece of paper, you might want to write this line that's coming down up on the screen. It says, never put parameters around you that God hasn't put around you. We do that all the time. We do. We put parameters around ourselves. We blacklist ourselves. Well, here's what that looks like. I'll... We Oh, no, I've been blacklisted by myself. What am I going to do? I mean, if it was me who blacklisted me, how do I unblacklist myself? I mean, oh, man. What? <clears throat> Somebody on my Facebook wall said, you know, what we need to do is we need to replace that phrase, WWJD, what would Jesus do? With uh, with the one that would be, where did Jesus go? Where did Jesus go? What happened? What is... Oh, man. I have never heard of the biblical category of blacklisting yourself. Hmm. I, this is my life right here. I'll never be blessed like somebody else. I'll never be successful like somebody else. I'll never get God's favor. God will never use my life. And we put ourselves in parameters. This sounds like a three-year-old. My, my children, when they would talk like this, they would, they were, I would punish them. God did not put uh, around us. Now, you might want to write this down. It won't come up on the screen, but you're going to like this. It's not what you are that holds you back. It's what you think you're not. Uh, and do you have a clear biblical passage that teaches any of this nonsense? It's not what you are that holds you back. It's what you think you're not. Well, I, I could never be used by God. God could never do something great in my life. I could never stand on the stage. I could never be successful. I could never have this kind of marriage. It's not what you are that holds you back. It's what you think you're not. And you've got these parameters. This is just flat-out narcissism. around yourself that God didn't put around you. You put around yourself. Everybody get it? Now, if you've got a Bible, go to Judges chapter 4. We're going to look at that. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. And uh, we'll uh, have some of the scriptures on the screen. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, get one on the way out at our info booth in the lobby there. Now, check this out. There's this dude named King Jabin. Now, this is back in Judges 4. Now, you've got to follow the story because it, it can get a little confusing. The dude's name is King Jabin. What's the guy's name? Okay, he is the king of the Canaanites, and he's very, very evil. And he has a leader of his army called Sisera. Okay, what's the dude's name? His name is? 
Sisera. King David is the king, and the leader of the army is Sisera. Now, Sisera was an evil ruler of an army, and the King Jabin was very evil. And what they did was they went over and they kind of oppressed this group of people called the Israelites. For 20 years, they would murder them and take their land and burn down their stuff, and they were very cruel to them. One day, God finally says, okay, you know what? Enough is enough. And he went over to Israelites and he said, look, King Jabin and this, uh, uh, this Caesarea, the leader of the army, they've been killing you guys for 20 years. You need to rise up and defeat them. They're evil and you're my people. Mm, yeah, he skipped an important part. Uh, Judges chapter 4, maybe he'll get to it, but let's, let me read it to you. Verse 1, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of army was Sisera, who lived in Hashereth Hagoyim. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, uh, the idea here is is that th- it wasn't just that there was these people these Canaanites who were oppressing the Israelites, they rebelled against God. So God was punishing them. That's what the whole Canaanite oppression was all about. It was God's judgment against them. We continue, though, with this masleration. Let's see what he does. Go and defeat them. And he spoke to one of the, one of the leaders of the Israelites to put together an army. His actual name was Barak, B-A-R-A-K. Spelled almost just like the president. And I know what you're thinking. Barack, he's in the Bible. He may not have a birth certificate, but he's in the Bible. Um, I'm just pointing that out. He made it in here. You look it up. It's in Judges 4. There he is. Now, this guy, he's, got, he's, he's the leader of the army. And God says, okay, you're going to lead these people. Now, here's what happened. Barak gets these guys together, the Israelites, the good guys. And he goes over here to Caesarea, the, the evil ones. And they begin to fight against each other. All of a sudden, Caesarea and his army starts getting defeated. And, and Barak and the army is destroying them. Now, notice, um, he's not actually reading the biblical text. Would you like to hear the biblical story here? It's so much better than what he's doing. <clears throat> So let me read. So the Lord sold them in the hand of Jabin. Okay, we got that. So then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh, Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon, with his chariots and his troops, and I will give them into your hand. So the word of the Lord being spoken by the prophetess here, this is the prophetess Deborah, is that uh, this this Israelite is supposed to go and basically uh, engage Sisera in battle, okay? And the word of the Lord 
through this prophet uh, prophetess is that uh, he will defeat Sisera. Okay, so so the Lord said, "I will give him into your hand." Barak said to her. If you go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels and Deborah went up with him. What's the, going on here? Well, it sounds like he's not believing the word of the Lord. He's not trusting God. Now, Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zaanaim, which is near Kadesh. And when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Karashath Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? Okay, so you'll see what's going on here. Now I'll come back to the story. Let's see what uh, Chris Songson's going to do with it, but we'll kind of leave you right there and we'll continue. So Syria, he gets all scared. Everybody else is getting killed. So he runs and he takes off and he says, you know what? I'm going to go and hide. And he takes off miles away because he's afraid. So Syria, the evil guy, he's afraid. So he runs and he ducks inside of this tent of this woman named Jael. J-A-E-L, J-L. Now, let's pick up the story. Verse 17, it's going to come up on the screen. I got it here in the Bible. Let me read it to you. Meanwhile, okay, stop. So he notice what he's doing here. He tries to give a summary that takes us all the way to verse 17, but he doesn't tell the narrative. He doesn't read the biblical text. When somebody does this, they are doing one of two things. One is okay. The other is not. Okay. The one that's okay is summarizing so that you, you know, to remind you of what you've read. The other is hijacking the narrative so that well you can so the person can make their own points rather than let god's word speak okay it's to create the impression that this is a biblical preaching when it's not so at this point i mean if you were to just jump into verse 17 um based on the summary that he's given would you have any clue as to what's really going on answer no okay because there's an interplay here between god god's word coming to the prophetess Deborah. We have a guy not believing it. As a result of it, he's not going to get the glory of the battle. The battle is being joined. And so, you know, you've got God delivering them. All of these major themes being worked in. And so you got rebellion, God selling them into slavery for judgment, then God redeeming them and bringing them out, rescuing them and setting them free. I mean, there's this whole cycle here that has to be discussed in context here in Judges chapter 4. So <clears throat> let me... um. Go back to verse 14. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand, who is giving it the Lord. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed, the Lord routed, the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot, and Barak pursued the chariots and the army to 
Harashath Hagoyim, and all the way, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left, but Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin and the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber and the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if anyone comes and asks, Is any anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand, and then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness, so he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg in his temple. So on that day, verse 23, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Who subdued? Who won? Who gave them, the, you know, the Canaanites into the Israelites' hands? God did. Let's see now what Chris Songson could possibly do with this text. Sisera ran to the tent of Jael. Remember, he was scared, and he went, and he found this tent. He's like, they're killing everybody. He got out of the evil guy. The wife of Heber, the Canaanite, uh, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. Now, pick it up here, verse 19. It says, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come, don't be afraid. So he went in her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. So, so Jael recognizes him and says, Ooh, that's the evil dude. She says, Come into my tent. You know, and she brings him inside, and he's cold. They wrap a blanket, and he's thinking, I'm safe. Look what he says. He says, please give me some water. He said, I'm thirsty. So he gave her some milk from a leather bag. Milk from a leather bag. Must be an interesting taste. And covered him again. And well, I guess it started off in leather. So what difference does it make? But anyway, stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks if, uh, if, if there is anyone here, say no. So he says, look, he goes, I'm going to hide out in the tent. And if anybody comes to your tent, just go out there and tell them nobody's here. He's hiding because he knows he's going to get killed by these guys. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg. The woman had a hammer and a tent peg. Look what it says. Then she drove the tent peg through the temple and into the ground, and so he died. She's like Xena, the princess warrior. Um, Okay, now you got to understand a couple things about the story that might help you uh, better understand the situation. Okay, JL was a person who was in charge of putting up tents for communities. If you look at uh, Judges 5, you'll figure that out. Now, check this out. The Bible says that she was a person that put together tents. She knew how to handle a hammer. She knew how to handle a stake. And she knew how to drive it into the ground. Okay, that day, she's sitting there, and all of a sudden, he comes in, and she recognizes that he's the leader of the army everybody's trying to get. And she says, now God presents this opportunity for her to save her nation and destroy this evil guy and save thousands of people. God brings it. Now, understand, she's just a woman. 
I say that, I don't say that in a bad way, but in those days, women were blacklisted. They weren't looked at as anything special. She was just a woman. She didn't have a very special job. She didn't have a glamorous job. Her job every day was to nail in these stakes to build tents for other people. That's all she did every single day. But yet God presented an opportunity for her to get out of the parameters of her life and begin to do something big. God didn't use the warrior, Barak, or any of the other people. He used a woman who for year after year was just being faithful to what God told her to do. And God used this woman in a big, big way. Now, there's opportunities around us all the time. How many saw this week uh, on the cover of the Press Enterprise Wednesday that our church was on there? Isn't that awesome? We're on the cover of the Press Enterprise. This is one of our campuses. We call it Venue 2. It's our campus that meets over at the Marquee 15, which is a nightclub. If you look at the headline at the bottom, Worshiping God Under the Gaze of Lady Gaga. Um, but I, it's hard. It's really hard to see. So put it up on all screens if you could. Look at the guy all the way to the left in the top left corner. You see him? He's plugging his ears. The worship's so loud, it's an older guy going, you guys are killing me. It's an awesome picture. Now, in this story, it talks about Venue 2, that since we moved over to Marquee 15 and we've done some outreach there, we have doubled in size. We have seen multiple people receive Christ into their life. We have baptized multiple people. We have seen marriages come back together. Is that not a phenomenal thing or what? Come on, let's give God a hand for that. Um, what's the connection between your church and Judges 4 again? So notice what he did there. He literally omitted every single verse that talked about how God is the one who rescued Israel, right? Talked about the great opportunity that Jael had, made sure to tell the story in his own words as to avoid all those thorny passages that would contradict his theology, and now he's made that, well, see, we're just like her. And so we're, you know, I mean, we, we see an opportunity and we're seizing it. So who's he preaching about? Not about the God who delivered Israel in Judges 4. He's preaching about himself. Now, you know what the really cool thing is? Is I get to be a part of that. That's an opportunity. Because two and a half months ago, we stood up and talked about this thing called 432, where for two years, we would live lives of generosity. Some of us that never have given would start tithing. Some of us that are tithing would go over and above that. And we would just be generous. My wife and I are living at a financial generosity more than ever before. And when I read this newspaper, here's what hit me. I got to be a part of that. Because I living a, I'm living a life of generosity. I get to be a part of this. That's an opportunity. Just like JL had an opportunity, we have an opportunity. This past week, past uh, Sunday, because of 432 and, the, and our general... By the way, um, the folks at the nightclub that, you know, got the right, you know, that the, the attend the nightclub, they're hearing these same messages by Chris Songson. I have yet to hear Chris Songson rightly teach God's word. By the way, it's impossible to teach sound doctrine while twisting and mangling God's word. It is actually impossible. So I'm not, I don't see this as a victory for the kingdom of God because Chris Songson doesn't proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, law and gospel, sin and grace, Christ and him crucified. 
he preaches a self-help, self-motivation. Um, it's not even a gospel. It's a false gospel. So, I mean, I, I don't, you know, he's sitting there going, wow, I got to be a part of that. But the thing is, is that I don't even think God's a part of it at all. Because why would God be yoked with somebody who's mangling his word, mangling the scriptures, teaching a false gospel and a false Jesus? It doesn't make any sense. And because of volunteerism. Last week, we had volunteers lined up on Sunday afternoon. We, we worked with this company called, uh, organization called Stop Hunger Now, and we partnered with them. Volunteers came out. We were able to financially make it happen because of 432. And this church, this week alone, we fed 10,000 children. Is that awesome or what? Yeah, that's just great. Um, how many of them were brought to repentance? sorrow and contrition for their sins and faith and trust in Christ, their crucified and risen Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. If you took the opportunity to volunteer, you got to be a part of that. If you're faithful with generosity, you got to be a part of that. I get to be a part of that. That's what I'm talking about. It's that, it's that opportunity to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Now, yeah, just like Jael got to drive the stake into Sisera's head. <laughs> I don't even know what the judge's text has to do with what he's saying here. There's two things about Jael that I think are pretty awesome. Number one, I want you to write this down. Number one. All right, so now we're going to focus about Jael rather than the God who delivered Israel through Jael. She was faithful. Write that. What's that say? She was what? She was faithful. Okay. She was very faithful. Now, sounds like God is the one who was faithful. Her job was to set up tents. That's what she did. It wasn't glamorous. She wasn't in charge of some army. She wasn't uh, the ruler over something. She wasn't a queen. She wasn't in government. Her job, follow me, every single day was to do this. Because that's what God called her to do. And she just did it faithfully. Day after day, just being faithful exactly where she was at. Let me ask you something. Yeah, question, um, why is it that the biblical text doesn't make a big hoo-ha about the fact that she drove tent pegs every single day? It doesn't even mention that. Weird, huh? What faithfulness has God called you to be? If you consider yourself a Christian, I realize some of us may not consider ourselves Christian, but if you consider yourself a believer, a Christian, a person that loves God, what has God called you to be faithful to? I, I, what, what, what would God call it? Has God called you to be faithful to your family, yes or no? Yes. Well, it's not a trick question. You're like, I don't know. Should we, should we be faithful to each other? Yeah, why don't you read all those biblical texts that talk about that? Because the Bible does clearly talk about the need to be faithful in your parenting, faithful to your spouse. Uh-huh. It talks about that. So let's, let's hear what God's Word says. Can we please... Has God called us to be faithful to our family, yes or no? Absolutely. Okay, okay. God. Yeah, but see, there's a lot of people listening who haven't been. So do you have any good news for them? Tells us to certain things that you don't need to pray about. God's called me to be faithful to my family. God's called all of us. Yeah, and he's also called you to faithfully teach his word. When are you going to start doing that? Of all the years I've been reviewing your sermons, Chris, you haven't done that yet. To serve. To be faithful to serve. God's called all of us to be generous. God's called all of us to give. God's called all of us to reach out to people. God's called all of us to make a difference in this world. God's called all of us to make a difference. in the Notice all of this is law, 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 the thing you have to do. Where's the gospel and the good news of what Christ has done? Because 
Judges 4 has got the gospel all over it because God is the one who saves. God is the one who rescues. God is the one. I mean, seriously, the whole Judges 4 chapter, it's like a mini picture of man's fall into sin and God's redemptive work to save them, even with a tent peg that you could even point to as a means of getting right to the cross because what was driven through the hands and feet of Jesus? You see what I'm saying? It, oh, but he's not going to do that because I don't think he even knows the biblical gospel. I'm sure if the biblical gospel were to land on his nose, he would not recognize it. You don't have to ask God whether or not he's called you to do that. He just wants to know, are you going to be faithful day after day to keep pounding in that stake? Are we going to be faithful to what God says to be faithful to? Now, all law, no gospel. Pastor Deshaun last week, Pastor Deshaun hit it out of the park last week. Do you remember when he talked about the thing called oxymoron? Did anybody remember that? Okay, what did he say? Oxy in, 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 in Sri Lanka, where he was from, the guy who spoke here last week, a friend of mine, he says, you know, he goes, there's no such term as oxymoron. An oxymoron in America, he was joking around. He was like, jumbo shrimp. That's an oxymoron. And then he ripped on me, Pastor Chris Handsome. That hurt. But, um, but then he went on with this. He goes, here's another oxymoron. No, Lord, not yet, Lord, not my possessions, Lord, not my time, Lord. He goes, that's an oxymoron. Now we've got, no, that's called disobedience, by the way, and it's a sin, and a sin that Christ has died for. Are we going to, I mean, seriously, you're doing it right now, Chris. You're saying, no, Lord, because God's word commands you to preach the word, and you're not. It commands you to preach sound doctrine, and you're not. You're saying, no, Lord. He says, if he's your Lord, there's no no with it. You can't connect no and Lord together. If he's your Lord, whatever he says to do, you just do it. You see, you might want to write this down. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. We can't say, no, Lord, not yet, Lord, not my possession, Lord, not my time, Lord. We just can't do that. And that's not my possessions. Notice they keep coming back to that. Apparently they need money. Seeker-driven model for, quote, church, end quote, is the most expensive way to do, quote, church, end quote, known to man. See, that was the beautiful thing of JL. She just said... You know what? This ain't the most glamorous job in the world, but I will do what you've called me to be faithful to do. Yeah, you know, again, you're making a point the Bible doesn't even make. I'll do it. You know, King David, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is about King David in 1 Samuel. King David was a dude that had uh, um uh, King David was a guy that uh, uh, was a shepherd, and he had these older brothers that went out and fought war all the time. And King David, King David, he was just a shepherd. Uh, uh, he's like 15 years old at the time. He's not a king yet. And he goes, and, he, and he's thinking in his mind, all I'm doing is out here tending to these sheep, and my brothers are out there being heroes. When do I get to go out there and fight? And you know what he did? He just went around kicking rocks, taking care of out in the field, taking care of the sheep. What narrative is this from again? What narrative is that from? Where is that written? Um, in all of 1 Samuel, I don't recall that story about David. You're not preaching God's word. You're basically telling your stories as if they're the very word of God. Never read that. 
he would pull out a slingshot every now and then and pick up a rock and just practice and hit things because he was bored out there, just being faithful to his slingshot and being faithful to the, to the sheep. Yeah, unlike you. And then a little while later, God took that faithfulness to his slingshot and brought him in front of this guy named Goliath, and he defeated the army and he saved the country. God said, you just be faithful there and watch what I'll do later on. That's yeah, no, God didn't say any of that. Why are you making points that the scripture don't make? Same thing that he did with JL. JL saying, you know what, all I'm doing is day after day doing this. How can this be spectacular? And then all of a sudden, Sisera comes in. And- yeah, she was never asking that question. How did you get the ability to talk about her and basically find out things that were just not in the biblical text? Were you there? Did God tell you this? Did you get it via download from Patricia King? Or did you just make it up? He says, now there's the- By the way, coming back to the, th- the to- topic I talked about earlier, this is this is a perfect example of traditions of men. Chris Songson is not teaching the biblical text. He's literally telling up his own made-up stories as if they're the very word of God, as if he knows better than God's word as to what it is that we need to be taught and what we need to hear. And so he's hijacking biblical characters and literally telling mythologies about them and lies. This is a tradition of men that he's teaching, flat out and flagrantly at that. There's the evil guy. There's the guy that if we kill him, we could save this nation. And she's a, and she just says, all of a sudden, I'm just being faithful. And all of a sudden, God opens up the door and takes her little faithfulness and makes it into something big. Jesus said these words. He said, if you'll be faithful with the little things, I'll reward you with much more. Hey, can I let you in on a... What was he talking about there? I mean, you just ripped it out of context. All of a sudden, you just parachute Jesus in? Nowhere in Judges 4 does it talk about her faithfulness to driving tent, uh, tent pegs into the ground. Nowhere. And then you just pull Jesus out of context and parachute him into Judges 4 without any proof that the two go together. Wherever Jesus says, I'll reward you, take him up on it. Don't be like, well, no, I'm, I'm good. Whenever he says he wants to reward you, okay, figure out, okay, how do I get rewarded by Jesus? Let me figure this out. How do I get rewarded in my marriage, in my finances, in my life, in my spiritual life? How do I get reward? Well, I can tell you how to get reward. You be faithful with the little things, and then I will give you much more. What's God called you to be faithful to? And what is an area of your life where you're not being faithful? Not only was she faithful, the second thing is, I want you to write it down, is that she was focused. She knew it. Now, listen, this is important. She didn't do this. She didn't sit there and pound the nail of the stakes every day, building these tents and thinking, okay, God, I guess I don't have a glamorous job, but whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. God, I'll be faithful to you. She didn't do that day after day. And listen, and then look over the fence of someone else's life like we do. What are you talking about? You don't know what she did. She shows up for just a couple of verses, and all of a sudden you've got her entire psychological biography figured out really by the way uh luke sixteen ten is where jesus says the one who is faithful in a little is also faithful in much and the one who is dishonest in a little is also dishonest in much let me read it in context okay jesus said to his disciples there was a man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in your account of your management. 
for you can no longer be my manager. By the way, tough passage to preach on because it's hard to figure out exactly what's going on here. I'll take a crack at it. But uh, the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided to do uh, so that when I am removed uh, from management, people will receive me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, well, 100 measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, well, 100 measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill, write 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you that, tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a little, in very little, is also faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Wow, what's going on there? Um, may I recommend this? To go to the issuesetc.org website, and they did an entire series of these on the on the parables. Okay, worth the listen to uh, the the, uh, the the parable of the shrewd manager, the dishonest manager. But uh, the idea here is is that he was commended for his shrewdness because he knew that his master was kind and merciful. And so he basically, it all, it looks like he's taking advantage of that, but he went, he banked on the goodness and kindness of his boss. And we can bank on the goodness and kindness of Jesus. That's really um, what this is about. But again, I would recommend take a listen to the resources at issuesetc.org on this parable. But we continue with Chris Songson's. At this point, he's he's literally, in the truest sense of the word, teaching the traditions of men. He is inserting into the biblical text using eisegesis things that are not there. He wasn't there. He never saw Jael. None of the stuff is recorded, yet he's making up whole cloth, entire things about her that are not in the Scripture. These are the traditions of men, not what is revealed in the Word of God. We continue. Why are they so blessed? How come they get so much money? How come they got so much talent? How come God does so many good things in them? What about me? She just said, God, I'm not going to worry about what you're doing for everybody else. I'm just going to be faithful to what you told me to do. The, the text doesn't say this. And then I believe that you'll reward me in the end. Yeah, Jael never had this discussion with God. It's, ne it's nowhere recorded in the scripture. That's what he's talking about. See, here's the big idea. And I want you to write this down. This is the big idea. God doesn't want you. This is an important one. God doesn't want you to wait around for someone else to do what he has called you to do. He doesn't. We do that all the time. See, see what we do is we like to wait to see if someone else is going to take care of what we should be taking care of. That's what happened. Think about it. JL, she's just being faithful. All of a sudden, Cecilia comes to the door of her tent. She comes in, and she, he falls asleep, and she's thinking, I know how to do this, and I know how to do this. She didn't open up the tent and go find Barack or any of the other army, uh, any of the other uh, guys, soldiers, and say, hey, Cecilia's in my tent. Go take care of it. She took care of it herself. She didn't. Now listen, she didn't wait for someone else to do what she knew God was telling her to do. 
She'll, 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 she'll rely on someone else. We do that all the time. Think about it for a moment. Okay, think about it. We say, well... Which commentary did you get this from, by the way? Again, because I keep coming back to that Judges 4.23. So on that day, God subdued Jabin and the king of Canaan before the people of Israel. God subdued. Who did the... Sub- Just unbelievable. I mean... I don't think this guy is capable of seeing God's hand in Scripture. Someone else will give. Someone else will serve. I don't need to. Someone else will reach out. I don't need to do that. Now, this is a guilt trip. You need to get busy in this seeker-driven um, self-help center. You need to get busy. You're not busy enough. you gotta get, You got to join the movement. you got to volunteer. you got to give money. You, so this is all basically, you know, he's telling a story from Judges 4, and to basically browbeat and manipulate these folks to get in gear to make his vision come about. It's someone else. It's me and you. I, I love it when people do this. This is the funniest thing in the world to me. I love when people do this. The church needs to be more loving. Who's the church? I love it when people do that. Have you ever heard anybody say, uh, be honest, put down another church? And then what are they saying? The church needs to be more about the, the lost. The church needs to be more loving. The church needs to care for them. Who's the church, man? It's me and you. you. The church is not this. You don't look at the drywall and say, feed people. You just don't. The church is me and you. So when you're saying the church needs to, what you're really saying is I need to. That's really what you're saying. Don't say the church needs to. You say I need to start doing more of that. I need to be the one giving more, sharing more, loving more, reaching out to people more, feeding more people. I need to do that. I'm the church. Not this stuff, this drywall. That's not the church. We're the church. I need to be doing those things. Listen, I promise you this. Jesus promises you, more importantly, if you're faithful in the little things, I'll reward you with much. Let me tell you something about my house. I want to be faithful to my family. I want to love them more than anybody ever loves them. I want to be faithful to give, not because I'm a pastor. Forget that. I know you're thinking, well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to on that. I do it because it's the right thing to do. Because if I'm faithful to give, if I'm faithful to serve, if I'm faithful to love people, if I'm faithful to reach out to people in the 845 service, a friend of mine sat right over there that I brought to church. If If I keep doing things like that, he'll break open the parameters of my life and bless me even more. That's a promise from the living God, the promise. So notice the quid pro quo. God is giving you a wage. You got to earn your blessings from God. How do you do it? Well, bring people to church, volunteer at church, tithe. And then God will break open the floodgates and just bless your socks off because you've earned it. Uh Uh-huh. This ultimately is a salvation by works scheme and a Ponzi scheme at that based on false doctrine and narcissistic eisegesis. Now, here's the deal. If you've ever held a, if you've ever held a baby in your hand, how many of you have ever had children before? Anybody here? Okay, when you have children, when you have children in your life and uh, uh, you maybe have a little baby and uh, you have a little child, Okay, and they're born. And then all of a sudden when they're born, you know, then they begin to do what? After they're born, they start to what? Crawl. And when they crawl, they start to do what? Walk. And when they walk, they start to 
run. Now, some of you might have experienced that before. Some of you might have experienced this, what I'm about to say. Maybe you had a child, and man, I'm, I'm so sorry if you did. If your child was born and they never learned to crawl because they just didn't have the muscles. We have a couple people like that in our church. Their children will never, ever crawl. Or maybe they learn to crawl, but they don't have the muscles to walk. Or they can walk, but they can never run. And how sad that breaks our heart. I want you to think about it. As I wrap this up, I want you to think about this. Think about the Heavenly Father who is sickly, madly, crazy in love with you. Who wants you to get out of the parameters and bless your life. And he says, if you'll be faithful with the little things, I'll reward you with much. That's what he wants to do. He, oh man, oh man, man, oh man, man. God wants to bless you, but you've got to prove that you're faithful with the little things first. Law, law, law. Keep in mind, you must pray the Lord's prayer, uh, the Lord's prayer daily. And for, how's it go? And uh, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If while we're praying for daily bread, we're also praying for daily forgiveness. Uh Uh-huh. Do you think you're ever going to be good enough on your own righteousness to earn God's blessings? This is a false sanctification, too. For our life. Now, how sad it must break his heart when he metaphorically holds you in his arms and you never start crawling. Oh, you're born again, but you never start crawling. Or you start crawling and Jesus is, okay, Jesus goes, come on. Feed them the gospel. That's what they need. Galatians makes it clear that the law is a tutor until Christ comes. And then you preach the gospel. You preach long gospel, sin, and grace. The law prepares us for Christ. Here you're just browbeating him with the law, and you're withholding Jesus. This is a crime. Come on. Come right here. Start walking. And you never walk. You never run. Oh, God, I'll, I'll go to church, but that's about it. God, I'll go to church, and maybe I'll serve once in a while, but that, that's it. I'm not going to do any more than that. God, I'll, I'll serve. Maybe I'll give once in a while, but I'm going to do any more than that. I'm not going to share my faith. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be that faithful, God. I'm not going to do any of I'll do a couple things, but not that. What you really say. This is just terrible. Is God, I'll crawl, but I'm not going to walk. I'll walk, but I'm not going to run. How it must break his heart, just like it would break your heart if that was your child. Let me ask you. We're going to wrap it up here. And we're going to sing a couple songs of worship, have a few minutes here at the end of the service to be able to express some love to God. But let me ask you this question. If you're a Christian here today, you consider yourself, man, I am a believer, no doubt about it, I'm walking with God. Let me ask you, what is... Cue sappy music. The next step for you. What's the next step for you? Where are you? Leave that church and go find one that preaches Christ. Where are you? Not being faithful. Where are you where you would say, you know what? Not really faithful in that area of my life. Notice how we're just chopping that sin up and well, you know, I'm 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 for the most part obedient in this area. And but I'm all and well on this area I need a little bit of help. Notice how we're compartmentalizing because by compartmentalizing, all of a sudden that we can we can create the impression that, you know, I'm not as sinful as 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 you know, as other people. I'm not all that bad because, you know, you compartmentalize. You see, you know, we'll just compartmentalize our lives so that we got the financial area, you got the family area, you got the spouse area of your life, you got the work area. You know, you got all these different areas, and so you just kind of look at it this way. No, no, no. The scripture's clear. If you've broken one of the commandments, you're guilty of breaking 
all of them, every single one of them. So if you ain't perfect in one area of your life, you ain't keeping the law and you stand condemned and judged. The solution isn't to try harder. The solution is to repent and be forgiven. Where's the cross? You know, it's just it's unbelievable. You can preach the cross from Judges 4 and he's not doing it. I'm not really consistent. I'm not really where I should be with that area of my life. Where are you in that area? Because that needs to change today. You gotta start crawling. You gotta start walking. You gotta start running. And maybe you're here today and Christ is not the center of your life. Maybe you're here today and, and you're thinking, well, I don't even know if. Well, he's not the center of your preaching. How on earth would they figure out how to make him the center of their life? My life is really where it should be with God. Let me tell you something. Before you run, walk, crawl, you gotta be born. If you held a baby in your arms, and I've held babies in my arms, my own two kids, they had to make their own decision for Christ. I couldn't make it for them. Pelagianism, flat out. I mean, this is unadulterated Pelagianism. This isn't even semi-Pelagianism. This is the heresy itself, Pelagianism. God can't make the decision for you to follow him with all of your heart. You're going to have to make that decision on your own. Good luck on that, because if you're honest with yourself, you're going to realize, yeah, you ain't doing it. You ain't got. You couldn't even come close to loving God with all your heart. Believe me, he's standing here with open arms. And if you're not where you should be with Christ, if your life is not lined up with God, man, today is your day to say, God, I'm a little off track, or I'm a lot off track, but I give my life to you today. Today, it all changes. Do you see why Pelagianism ultimately denies grace? It's all law. It's legalism at its core. If you're not where you should be with Christ, today is your day to make that right. Don't leave this auditorium without making it right with him. Would you join me in prayer? Yeah, notice you've got to make it right. But this, the biblical gospel tells us that Christ made it right for us. Yeah, let me, you know, since he's going to pray, I'm going to, I'm going to cut him off. You know, we're at the end of that sermon anyways. Thank God. See, you don't have to make it right with God. Christ made it right with God for you. Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That would be me and you. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him or by him from the wrath of God. Notice who's running all the verbs there. It's Christ. He's done the work. Okay? And we've been given the, the ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians um, chapter 5, uh, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. All of this is from God. Who's it from? It's from him. It's not from you. It's from him. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice the direction. The direction is not from down to up. It's from up to down. God doing the work. Christ dying for our sins. God bringing us to repentance and faith. Giving us the gift even to believe. It's all gift from him. 
We don't choose God. God chooses us. And God regenerates us. We are born dead in trespasses and sins. But Chris Songson is a full-blown, true Pelagian heretic. He has no concept of of the biblical doctrine of original sin. And as a result of it, he doesn't preach salvation by grace. He teaches rewards by works. And it comes out in practically every single one of his sermons. And the people who are under his teaching are not hearing the biblical gospel, and they have no clue how good the good news really is. If you're going to pray, stop and pray for them. All right, we are at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.